I'll invite you to turn to a couple of scriptures that we've looked at before. Zechariah chapter 10 and James chapter 5. We're teaching a series that we've uh, entitled The Lightnings of God, and we get it from Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Zechariah is inspired by the Holy Ghost in, in the Old Covenant to write these words about a time that he didn't live in, but a time that we do. He said, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, rain is always referred to and used as a, as a type throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is used as a type of the, of the moving of the Holy Ghost or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you may remember in Acts chapter 2 when they began to, when the Holy Ghost was poured out and they began to speak with other tongues, Peter stood up and said, this is that which was spoken of about the rain. Talking about the early and the latter rain. Well, from that we see that where it speaks of the rain in other places, it's telling us that that's a type of the Holy Spirit too. And that's what Zechariah is saying by the Spirit of God. Ask give the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, what's the time of the latter rain? Well, we certainly know that the time of the latter rain began with Acts chapter 2. Peter said so. Inspired by the Holy Ghost when he preached on the day of Pentecost. So we know that from Acts chapter 2 on, that was some 2,000 years ago, it's been the time of the latter rain. Yet it seems from not only this scripture but from some others that there is a specific time in those last days. Maybe we should say the end of the last days. That God intends to do something spectacular by the Holy Ghost. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, what's going to happen if we do? So the Lord shall make bright clouds. Now, this word bright clouds is used is uh, uh, used in the Old Testament one other place. This Hebrew word is used one other place in the Old Testament. And it's in the book of Job, and it's translated there, lightnings. Lightnings. The margin of my Bible has a little, little number one there, and it says, or lightnings. Well, that's because this word is only used a couple of times in the Old Testament, and, that, and here it's translated bright clouds. And that has to be a reference to the glory of God. The other places used is talking about lightnings, which has a reference to the power of God. Well, which one is it? I think it's both. I think it's both a manifestation of his presence or his glory. Remember, that's when Moses in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my face and live. But I'll show you my presence. God's presence is his glory. Well, we certainly know that that's always accompanied with power. So as I said, I believe it's both. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain at the last of the last days, in other words. There's a period of the last days. I don't know why I keep getting stuck on this, but I am stuck on this. There's a period of time in the last days. That God's going to do something spectacular by the Holy Ghost. Something so significant that he identifies it and distinguishes that from the other miracles and, and uh, normal supernatural things that he does. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain. Well, what is that? That means outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Well, I thought he just said he's going to do that. Yeah, but he's talking not just about the power of God, not just about the presence of God, but there'll be individual sprinklings of the Holy Ghost, like maybe certain things will happen in certain services or at certain events or at certain gatherings. Give them showers of rain. For what purpose? To everyone grass in the field, to bring people into the kingdom of God. Now look with me over to James chapter 5 and verse 7. James is talking by the Holy Ghost about the same thing. And he's talking about it in relation to Jesus coming back. So we know what the end of the last days is talking about then, don't we? He's talking about Jesus' return. What's commonly known as the rapture of the church. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Takes patience when things get tough, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be nice for Jesus just to rapture us out of here before the bill is due? Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Thank God he's coming. Now, he was writing 2,000 years ago saying, be patient then. Well, we know we're 2,000 years further toward the end of the last days than they were. Yet it takes the same patience for us as it does them. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. 
Now, why is that? Behold, the husbandman waiteth. It uses the, the example of Jesus being a farmer. Well, what's a farmer do? He plants crops, he grows crops, and he brings them in. What's Jesus doing with you? He's planting you, he's growing you, and he's going to bring you in. You're the harvest. Mankind is the harvest that he's coming back for. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Jesus is waiting. Well, what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting till the harvest is full. You don't want to try to bring the harvest in before it's ready, do you? Well, there's a time coming that the harvest is going to be ready. But then the question is, well, if we've been waiting 2,000 years on it, what's going to get that harvest ready? He tells you in the last phrase. He says, and behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and he has long patience for it until it receives. Now, the King James says he receives, but Jesus is not interested in receiving something other than the precious fruit of the earth. It's talking about something that will affect the harvest here on the earth until it receives the early and the latter rain. In other words, there's something that's going to bring about an increase in the precious fruit of the earth, the harvest that Jesus has been waiting to come back for, to receive for himself, the rapture of the church. There's something that's relative to or related to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost or a move of the Holy Ghost, the presence of God and the power of God on display that's going to bring in people to the kingdom of God so that Jesus can come back and and snatch them from the gates of hell. Ho-hum. What's that going to look like? Well, folks, if you look at the the example that, that... Peter talked about in Acts chapter 2 as being the early rain, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You see 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost because they were speaking in tongues. The speaking in tongues didn't get them saved, but Peter preaching about what it meant got them saved. So we could say that tongues were a sign to the unbeliever. Tongues weren't the, the, the method whereby anybody got saved. Nobody got saved because they were speaking in tongues, but the tongues were a sign because Peter said, here's what it means, and then they got saved. 3,000 people got saved on the day of, on the day of Pentecost. Then the Bible tells us just a short time later in Acts chapter 3 that one healing miracle, one lightning display of the power of God caused a crippled man at the gate of the temple to be healed and 5,000 people got saved, not because of the miracle, but as a result of Peter preaching about what the miracle meant. Talked about the resurrection of Jesus, 5,000 people got saved. That's a pretty good start. In just a short period of time, you've gone from 120 in the upper room to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost added to the church. And then a short period of time after that, it says that there were 5,000 saved or added to the church because of the man that was healed in Acts chapter 3. And then on top of that, it said the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's a pretty good start for one church in one town. Wouldn't you agree? Yet the Bible talks about a display of the Holy Ghost at the end that's going to, that indicates or implies, at least in my thinking, that it's going to be greater than what we started with. Now, granted, the church is spread out beyond just one town. So it would be a worldwide thing. But I'm looking for God to do some big stuff. Have you ever noticed God always saves the best for last? God doesn't start off big and taper off. He ends up big. Now turn back with me to uh, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm, uh, well, I started to say I don't have any notes, but I never have any notes. That's nothing new. But I'm not exactly sure where the Holy Ghost wants me to go this morning. I don't have a night service tonight, so I get to preach twice as long. Hey, I don't understand these guys that just have morning services. This is like a vacation. But uh, but I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm Well, believe God with me that we'll get to the right place. Because I, I, we've been talking about manifestations of the Spirit, and we want to continue along that line. But I think there's, there's something else. I've got something else rolling around on the inside, and I'm not exactly sure how to put words to it. Jesus said in John chapter 14 in his discourse with his disciples... His last night that he was with them, he said in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
The works that I do shall he do also. Now, a lot of times people will take the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, and the 16th chapter of John, and they'll say, yeah, but that was just for the disciples. Notice he didn't say, these signs shall follow my disciples or those that are, that are my apostles. He didn't say that. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Well, are they the only ones that believe on him? Are they the only ones that are going to believe on him? Well, then is Jesus just being casual with his words, or is he being specific by speaking to them through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost? If that's the case, then the Holy Ghost is saying, this is the, ca- this is the situation, this is what we could expect from anybody that believes on him. Not just the twelve. Not just those who became apostles. It's, it, uh, you know, I've had some people uh, try to get in touch with me here lately and say, Oh, Pastor Mike, have you heard about what so-and-so is saying about the gifts of the Spirit now? They're preaching on strange fire that, that the charismatic part of the church isn't of God. Well, folks, that's nothing new. They've been saying that forever. Oh, what are we going to do about it? He's really well known. I don't know what you're going to do about it, but I'm going to keep operating in the Holy Ghost. Who cares what somebody says isn't, isn't for us today? They've been saying that forever. Oh, but it's going to stir up trouble in the church. Not for me. I see in the Bible that the pattern was after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they started doing miracles in the, and the religious leaders that said that stuff wasn't supposed to work that way saw the people that were healed and said, we can't say anything about this. We can't speak against this because a notable miracle has been done. So let's just keep doing what the Holy Ghost tells us to do, what Jesus said we would do, and not worry about what anybody else says. Don't get all disturbed about it. They're going to have enough to answer to God for on their own. Let's, let's don't try to add to their problems. And listen, we need to pray for people that are of, the, of that persuasion. They're wrong, but hopefully they're just wrong in their head and not wrong in their heart. I sure don't want everything that I was wrong about in my head to be held against me. Do you? I know you don't. Well, we need to pray for folks. We don't need to fight against them. God didn't send you into the world to fight. There's only one fight the Bible says a Christian has, and that's the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is not fought against other people. So don't worry about what anybody else says about it. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, not just the apostles, not just the twelve, he that believeth on me. The works that I do shall he do also. Now, John says, writing in his gospel, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, he's talking about believing on Jesus as being the same thing as believing on his name. So it must mean something more than just being saved. He didn't say he that was saved will do this stuff. A lot of people that are saved won't. Not because they can't, because they refuse. So it's got to mean something more than just being saved. He didn't say he that is saved will do these works. He said he that believeth on my name. There's a lot more to believing on the name of Jesus than just being saved. Because the name of Jesus is bigger than just the forgiveness of sin. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. Without that, we're all lost. But it's still bigger than that. So he that believeth on me or on my name... The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Notice it's about relationship. It's about believing on his name, a relationship with his name, because of his relationship with his Father, and that we are in him. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, the power to do the works of Jesus is in his name. That's why believing in his name is a key. Then notice the next thing that he says. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then the very next thing he talks about is the Holy Ghost. And I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. Now, if we're going to be doing the works of Jesus in his name only, what do we need the Holy Ghost for? Why pray for the Holy Ghost to be our comforter? I would suggest to you if we're doing the healings and the miracles that Jesus did through his name... What what greater comfort is there? Why is he talking about the Holy Ghost in connection with the works that he did in being done in his name? Because it's the name of Jesus that gives us the authority and the right to do the works. But it's the power of the Holy Ghost that enables the works to be done. In other words, he's saying 
My name is the key to doing the works, but the Holy Ghost is the power to do the works. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you until the last apostle dies. That he may abide with you forever. Folks, I want you to understand forever doesn't end when Jesus comes back for the church. When he's talking about forever, he means forever. You'll have just as much of the Holy Ghost in heaven as you've got now. It's not like Jesus comes back for the church and takes us all to heaven. The Holy Ghost finally says, now I get a break. I can leave these people. Do what I want to do now. No, he'll abide with you forever. He'll abide with you forever. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Notice what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost. Now he's talking to the same group that he just explained these things to in chapter 14. Some, what, uh, Five days before, four days before, something like that. I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to start reading in verse one. I'll read down through verse eight. The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Notice Jesus didn't end doing his stuff for teaching. Now this is Luke writing, and so he's saying, I wrote the other gospel telling you about what Jesus started doing. Now I'm going to tell you what he continued to do. Until the day which he was taken up, after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. I love that phrase, infallible proofs. Now, folks, when it came to Jesus, God was interested in infallible proofs. Has God changed? Is God any less concerned about infallible proofs regarding Jesus and being raised from the dead now than he was then? Keep that in mind with the Holy Ghost. To whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So we know what he's talking about. He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. This is the word ability. It's the word dunamis in the Greek. It means ability. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, or Jerusalem rather, Judea and Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now, I wonder if that has anything to do with Jesus saying in John chapter 14, verse 12, He that believeth on my name, the works that I do shall he do also. And even greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You think that has anything to do with being a witness? Well, he's saying you're going to do him his name. Whatsoever you shall ask, call for, require, and demand in my name, I will do it. Doesn't his name being attached to and associated with the miracle works that he did here on the earth identify clearly that it's to be a witness of him and his resurrection? Otherwise, what's the point in using the name? Why don't we do them in our own name? Be healed in the name of Mike. We'll see how well that works. But why not? Why not use our own name? Why not say be healed because I'm a Christian? Why not? What is the importance of Jesus identifying the works through his name? Is to be a witness of his resurrection. To be a witness of him. Well, then what does Jesus say is going to be the key to doing the works in his name? And here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, being those witnesses. The key is the power of the Holy Ghost. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. How many of you are filled with the Holy Ghost? Guess what Jesus just said about you? You've got the power to do the works that he did and even greater works. Why does the church pray for power? Oh, Lord, give us power. 
But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You've got the power. You can't have the Holy Ghost without having power. Now, that may, may seem to be a contradictory statement to your life. But it's true. You can't have the Holy Ghost without having power. Well, if we have the power of the Holy Ghost, if we can do the works of Jesus in his name and whatever we call for or require in his name, that's what the word ask means in John chapter 14. Whatever you ask in my name, it means to call for or require or make a demand on. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If we have the power, then why do we seem to be so powerless? Why is so much of our discussion about the Holy Ghost just in theory? Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse one, Paul writes to the church and makes one of the most astonishing statements that that, in, that seems to me is completely overlooked. He says in verse one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I'm reading from the King James now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The words gifts is in italics there in the King James, which means the translators added it. Anytime you find a word in italics in the King James, it means the translators put it in there trying to help us understand what's being spoken of. Well, They had a good reason for trying to add a word, but they limited the word that they put in there, limited our understanding. Because in the original Greek, the word spiritual is in the plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, what does that mean? That's really blind to us. There's no understanding from that. If they just left it now concerning spirituals, brethren... What would we think he was talking about? Well, the word spirituals in the Greek means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. And that's really what he's saying. He's saying now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, the one that filled you, the one that empowered you, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of anything concerning the Holy Ghost. And folks, I would submit to you that's the greatest level of ignorance in the body of Christ. You've got people now that are coming out with whole new doctrines about the, the gifts of the Spirit and, and uh, the charismatic part of the church being done away with. Why? Because they're ignorant of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says people perish for a lack of knowledge. In other words, ignorance is a killer. Not only will ignorance kill the individual, ignorance of Jesus and his sacrifice will cause the individual to spend eternity in hell. But ignorance of the Holy Ghost that has already filled you and has already empowered you will keep that power from working. Ignorance is dangerous in every aspect. I would submit to you that ignorance is the greatest danger to our country today. People being ignorant of the political situation and the things going on in the world around them is causing us to circle the drain as a country. And if something doesn't turn that around, we're going to get flushed. Now, that shouldn't be something for the church to be afraid of because God doesn't change whether the country's flushed or not. God will always come through. I'm going to live on top whether America does or not. But my salvation doesn't depend on the state of the country. What God does for me doesn't depend on what America does or what politics does. What God does for me depends on what his word says he's already done through Jesus. So I'm going to live above no matter what. I I think it's important for us to understand that in these last days. Because I don't see things getting better in the country. So we better gain knowledge of who we are in Christ. Okay. Now concerning spiritual gifts, things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Well, what are we not supposed to be ignorant of? Well, one of the things that he talks about not being ignorant of in explaining is the way that the Holy Ghost moves. In other words, these are the lightnings of the Holy Spirit. This is what you can expect the Holy Ghost to do. Now, folks, remember, if Paul is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, here's the Holy Ghost saying, here's what I'll do. This is not just Paul saying, well, in my experience as a minister. No, this is the Holy Ghost saying, here's what I'll do. Well, who's going to know better than the Holy Ghost what the Holy Ghost is going to do? So he says, here's how it works. 
Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone to profit with all, every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith, or the Amplified says special faith, by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healings. Now, gifts and he- gifts of healings are mentioned three times in the in this uh, discourse that Paul writes to the Corinthians, and it's the only place that it is used in Scripture. And in uh, twice it calls them gifts of healing. Once it calls them gifts of healings. In the original, they're all they're uh, every time they're in the plural. Gifts plural, healings plural. To another, the gifts of healings plural by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh. Here's what the Holy Ghost is saying. I work in all these ways. But all these worketh, that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. It sounds like Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost that these things are supposed to work. Well, why don't they always work then? Clearly, if the Holy Ghost is prompting Paul to say this is how it works, it's because he wants it to work. It's not the Holy Ghost saying, now here's what I could do, but I won't. Here's what's available, but not for you. It's not like God's dangling something in front of our face and snatching it away from us. The Holy Ghost is saying, Here's what I'm sent to do. Here's what Jesus said that I would do. Here's what I'm sent to the earth to be with you for. Here's the power that I've given to you. Here's how it works. Then why doesn't it work? To a great degree, because we're ignorant of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me let me put it in uh, in kind of a, an understandable, uh, at least I'm going to try to put it in an understandable context. Um I could tell you stories about people that have operated in things that I haven't operated in. And we could get wild by the stories, but it still leaves us with the same question. Yeah, but why not now? So instead of doing that this morning, I'm going to put it, I'm going to break it down into something that I hope every one of you can understand. Because even though the Bible makes a distinction between the Holy Ghost operating in a public setting and a private setting, for example, I'm preaching in the office or from the office of a pastor with the teaching gift upon me for the benefit and the purpose of helping you grow in the things of God. Agreed? Whether you think I am a good teacher or not, it doesn't matter. This is it. Sorry. No question God set me in the office of a pastor. Right? So that's something we all agree on without talking about whether we like it or good or not, bad or whatever. We can agree on that. That's a public ministry of preaching and or teaching. But God's called all of us to share what we know with somebody else when the opportunity arises, right? So in the same way that I'm teaching the congregation because I'm in standing in an office to do so, a ministry office to do so, you and I and anybody else can do it individually as the opportunity arises. That doesn't make us a teacher, doesn't make us a pastor, doesn't make us a minister or a five-fold ministry gift. It just means that the Holy Ghost operates similarly as indivi- in individuals as he does corporately as a ministry gift. Agreed? Okay. Tongues works the same way. Because the Bible's talking about a manifestation of the Holy Ghost in tongues and interpretation for the benefit of profiting with all. But the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, is given to every man not to profit himself, but to profit with all. That means to profit everybody. So that means every one of these nine manifestations is something that the Holy Ghost can and will do for the benefit of blessing the crowd or blessing the congregation or blessing the body of Christ. That has nothing to do with what the Holy Ghost does in us individually when we're by ourselves or one-on-one with somebody else. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, then what about, let's use an example that we can all relate to, and that is, what about getting people filled with the Holy Ghost individually? How does that work? I know that uh, in uh, 1985, I believe it was, Beth and I were doing some traveling in uh, Michigan. We were in upstate Michigan, and there was this dear little old lady. We were in a uh, small church in um, upstate Michigan, and uh, 
little lady came to us, little white-haired lady. I think she was in her 80s, late 80s. Sweetest little lady you ever seen in your life. Just frail and, and small, tiny, just a small, small person, you know. Sweetest little lady. I mean, you just, you just looked at her and wanted to cry. The love of God just oozed out of her pores. She had walked with God for, um, I don't remember what it was, something like 60 years. But then at this, um, uh, she'd been in this church for some time, several years at least. And uh, during this meeting we were having, it's a two or three day meeting. She came to me and she said, oh, young man. I was younger then. Oh, young man. She took my face in her, in her hands like this. And she said, oh, I appreciate your ministry so much. But I want you to pray for me. I said, okay, yes, ma'am. You know, yes, ma'am, sure. She said, I've been seeking the Holy Ghost for 50 years. And I want you to pray for me that I'll receive. Well, folks, I'm a lot nicer now than I used to be. I'm a lot. I've, I've knocked off some rough edges or God's knocked some rough edges off of me. So I had to really be careful about this because I, how do I tell this frail little woman? I'm not going to pray for you. And so just as gently and as kindly as I could said, ma'am, I'll be glad to pray for you, but there are things that you need to know first. And so I just talked to her. I talked to her just for a few minutes after the service about what the Bible says about being filled with the Spirit. Now, here's something you need to know when it comes to the Holy Ghost. There's only two reasons that somebody would fail to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, when I'm talking about failing to receive the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking about failing to receive salvation. We receive a measure of the Holy Spirit when we're saved. I'm talking about Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two experiences Jesus said. He said the Holy Ghost would be like you, like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the Holy Ghost in salvation. But then he said the Holy Ghost would flow from your innermost being like a river. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's only two reasons why somebody would fail to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. One is a failure to believe that he's given for us or them individually. Second is a failure to yield. There's only two reasons. Now, when you know that, it makes it easier to minister to people. Now, I don't know how much you know about church history, but up until, well, this is still true today in some circles. A lot of times people just set people in the altar. Churches will just set people in the altar and just make them pray until something happens without any instruction. They'll have people, I remember the first time that I sought the Holy Ghost was in an Assembly of God church, big Assembly of God church. They took me to a little side room, and I had one lady screaming in my ear and tongues on the left side. I had another lady screaming in my ear and tongues on the right side. And I'm thinking, this place is nuts. (laughs) They're saying, just concentrate on the Lord. And I'm thinking, I can't concentrate on anything except you screaming in my ear. (laughs) Every now and then, one of them didn't know which one. One of them would slap me on the back. And I'm thinking, lady, one more time. Hit me one more time. And as a result of ignorance, a lack of knowledge about how spiritual things work, how to receive the Holy Ghost, people have been left in in limbo in so many situations where they're genuine, they're sincere, they want to receive the things of God, but they don't know how because nobody tells them. Well, she'd been in a lot of those situations. This church was a situation kind of like that, that we were preaching in. So I just gently talked to her and told her what the Holy Ghost or what the Bible says about receiving the Holy Ghost, showed her some scriptures. And I said, now, ma'am, service is over. I said, now, would you like me to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit? She said, yes, I would. And I said, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lay hands on you. We're going to say a simple prayer. Lay hands on you. and The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. Now, at that point, it's up to you to speak in tongues. I can't do that part for you. I can get the Holy Ghost to come upon you. I can take you that far. But the rest of it has to be you using your voice, your lips, your mouth to speak what the Holy Ghost is doing on the inside of you and what he gives you to say. Don't worry about it, what it sounds like. It's just you and me. Just do whatever is there. I laid hands on her and then just so sweetly, almost in a little whisper, she started speaking in tongues. Now, what happened next really broke my heart. Because afterwards, I stepped back. We talked in tongues for a few moments. I stepped back and I said, do you know that you spoke in a language that you don't know with your mind? She said, yes, I do. I said, well, that's it. That's the Holy Ghost. Now you've received what you came for. 
what you've been seeking after for 50 years. Now, folks, she spent 50 years where she could have been speaking in tongues and fellowshipping with God, searching for something that nobody had the knowledge of how to get it to her. And then she said this. She said, I haven't grieved the spirit. She was so sensitive to the Holy Ghost, even though she wasn't filled with him because of her walk with God, that she recognized this is the same spirit that I was born again by. Same Holy Ghost. He's not twins. Same Holy Ghost. Now, folks, I have never failed to get somebody filled with the Holy Ghost that would yield. I've had thousands of people here at the church and in other situations, thousands of people, people with difficulty, people saying, I can't receive, I've tried to receive, I've prayed forever, all this kind of stuff. All you got to do is bring them knowledge of what the Bible says belongs to them. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's not rocket science. If it was, we'd be sunk. The one thing that the Bible says Jesus picked for starting the church out was ignorant and unlearned men. I take great comfort in that. And people try to make it so hard. They try to make it so complicated. Or they'll try to just base it on experience. Well, let's just have an experience. Well, my experience was like this. I've had people say things like that in prayer rooms. Working with Brother Hagin and stuff like that, I've had people, you know, you try to give instruction to people, here's how we want you to handle the prayer rooms, and it never fails. Somebody that's just sure they've got some special gift to get everybody filled, they'll say, well, I felt burning all over me when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll feel that too. No, you won't. Or you might, but you you can't count on that. You can't bank on that. And in some situations, we've seen in charismatic circles, people doing crazy things. We've seen in situations where the Holy Ghost would come upon somebody for the purpose of filling them and they'd start shouting as loud as they could. Well, the Bible doesn't say they were all filled in the, in the Spirit and began to shout. It said they began to speak. Now, here's something that Paul addresses the, the, to the church in Corinth. And, and you need to realize this. You can misuse whatever power that God makes available. There was a a gentleman by the name of W.I. Vine that was a a Bible teacher at uh, Central Bible College in Texas. And he said, this was many, many years ago, but he, he said something. His testimony was something that I really learned a lesson from. He said this. He said on the weekends we'd go out and we'd preach at other churches, and he had done so. And uh, it was just, you know, within driving distance, 100 miles or so of, of the school where he was. And so he said that he'd gone to this town in Texas, and here he is. He's ministering along. And he said all of a sudden, uh, this, um, uh, well, I say he was ministering. The, the service had started, but they hadn't turned it over to him yet. And so he's standing there. They're singing and doing whatever. And he said all of a sudden, he said there was such an impression upon me. I, he said I felt so excited. I wanted to get up and run around the room. But he said, at the same time, I felt like that, that I could do that. He said, something just held me in my seat. He said, then it started to wane. He said, then they did something else, sang another verse, and he said, I felt like running around the room again. He said, that happened three times. You know, it, it, it kind of increased and it ebbed and then increased and come and decreased again. He said, at the end of the third time, he said, there was a side door where, that opened up to this auditorium. And he said, a guy came walking or pushing a, a wheelchair. Well, his wife was in a wheelchair coming down the, the side aisle and pushed all the way down to the front where there was a little place set aside where they could, uh, they could sit. He said, as he was pushing down the aisle, I looked over there at them, and the Lord said this. He said, that's what the power is for. He said, if you had gotten up and run, now God knows what you're feeling. He didn't have to say, oops, man, I'm glad I didn't run. God knew what was going on all the time. He said, if you had gotten up and run around the room like you felt uh, able to do, he said, you would have dissipated the power. So when they turned the service over to you, call her over here, lay hands on her in the name of Jesus, and she'll be healed. She was. She walked out of the wheelchair. But he came back, and he had a whole new message for his Bible school students. He said, the anointing of God is given for specific purposes. And so often we get in the flesh or get feeling something and we'll use up the power that God intended for something else. Now, folks, charismatics are famous for that, which is why many people think we're crazy. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not crazy. You can dissipate the power. Now, some would say, yeah, but God's all-powerful. I don't understand that, Pastor Mike. God's all-powerful. He's got more power than what we'll ever need for any situation. 
Well, bless your darling heart. Those of the, that have actually done something and been used of God in ministry are believing and pulling for you that know everything. God doesn't make all of his power available in every situation. He makes power available for that which is needed. That we can have the same care one for another. Now, the problem that's taking place in the Corinthian church is that the congregation is misusing the power. Isn't that what he says? We're right here. Did I leave you in chapter 12? Turn with me over to chapter 14. Notice he says in verse 20, brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it in malice be children, but in understanding be men. In other words, he's saying, grow up, will you? Now they've got the gifts of the spirit in operation. No shortage of that. He's told them in chapter one, verse seven, you become behind in no good gift. That means you got them all working. You got everything the Holy Ghost wants to do in operation from time to time. Yet you need to grow up and learn some things. They're still ignorant of how the Holy Ghost wants to work. What do they need to know? In the law, it is written with men of other tongues. Notice men of is in italics. It literally says with other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. That's the benefit of tongues. With other lips and other tongues will I speak unto this people. That means God speaks to you in other tongues. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does that mean? He speaks to us in other tongues. When I'm talking in tongues, Pastor Mike, I don't know what I'm saying. That's right. But the Bible said he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That means the more you speak in tongues, the more you will come become spiritually aware of the, pres- the presence and the direction of God inside you. You can't put a, a, a definition on it, per se. You can't say, oh, I spoke in tongues, so now I know what to do. God said this. But the more you speak in tongues, the more spiritually aware you become so that you become more aware of the direction of God inside you than all the clatter around you. I've had people say, if I could just get my mind to slow down, I could get some sleep. The best way to shut your mind down is to pray in other tongues. Because it's your spirit speaking and your mind has nowhere to express itself. So pretty soon, it'll just slow down on its own. I mean, you're, even your brain is smart enough to know if nobody's going to listen, you'll quit talking. So just keep praying in the, Holy, uh, in the Holy Ghost. Keep praying in other tongues until you get there. Now, if you haven't done that before, it may take you a while to start off. It may take you an hour or so to get it to happen the first time. But the more you do it, the more accustomed you become to, to, with it, then the shorter and shorter that time will become. It'll become easy for you. So he says, with other tongues, other lips and other tongues, will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, Paul says, therefore, this is what that means. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, what is that? That's an example of Acts chapter 2. It wasn't the tongues that got people saved. It was the explanation of the tongues and the preaching of Jesus that caused 3,000 people to get saved. But what was the tongues, the purpose of the tongues? The tongues drew the crowd. The tongues caused everybody to come together and said, wow, what is going on? Some people said, these people are crazy. Other people said, they're drunk. And other people said, they can't be drunk, it's too early. Which means, wait a little while, <laughs> maybe they'll get drunk, I don't know. So the tongues were for a sign, but the tongues didn't get them saved. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But, here's the contrary. But prophesying serves not, but for them that believe not. In other words, prophesying is a sign not to the unbelievers, but to them that believe. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? Folks, please understand the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to say, he doesn't want, God doesn't want the world to think the church is crazy. I take great comfort in that. But if all prophesy, that means speaking by the inspiration of the Lord in a known tongue, in a tongue that's understood. But if all prophesy and there comes in one that believes not or is unlearned, he's convinced of all and he's judged of all and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you and the truth. In other words, it'll bring forth the precious fruit of the earth. 
It'll bring forth the precious fruit of the earth that Jesus is waiting for. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying the church, the congregation, is misusing the power of God that's available. That's why he says, desire spiritual gifts, but covet to prophesy. Why? Because if we prophesy, then that will cause the precious fruit of the earth to come forth. Now, what does he mean by prophesying? Notice in chapter 14 again, it says, um, well, let's just start in verse 1. It says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. I would submit to you that most charismatics have that backwards. They're following spiritual gifts. Yeah, they desire love, but they're following spiritual gifts. That's not the order. It says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Why would Paul say, choose prophecy above all the others? You can't tell me prophecy is more important than the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation of the plan and the purpose of God. How can anything be more important than that? Why is prophesying put top of the list? Because he's talking about the results. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. Well, I just don't understand that's tongues business. Don't worry, we're not talking to you. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, folks... Somebody tell me that speaking mysteries, divine secrets in the spirit is not important today. Just try. I don't care how many degrees you got behind your name. Seriously? Speaking divine secrets is not important at any time? Come on. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. I guess we should go a little bit further with that. And that is, since you have seen, through my example with other people that don't believe in speaking in tongues, why that is ridiculous because of the importance of speaking divine secrets directly to God, why don't you do more of it? It's a real honest question we should ask ourselves, isn't it? How much attention are we given to giving to speaking in tongues, knowing that when we speak in tongues, we're, that God hears us and we're speaking divine secrets with him. We're speaking secrets with God. We're speaking secrets with God. Secrets means your head doesn't understand. But it impacts your spirit. It has an effect on your spirit. How much benefit do you think there is to speaking divine secrets with God upon your spirit? Call me simple, but I can't think of much more important things than that. Yeah, but if they're divine secrets, how are we going to understand them? What, what good is that going to do? Because it makes you spiritually aware of things. It's not words, but you'll have a witness of things that you wouldn't know mentally. I just don't think you can overemphasize the importance of speaking in tongues. And I think that's why Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Because he understands these are divine secrets. So I'm going to give attention to that. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that speaketh, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, he's just told us to covet that we may prophesy or desire that we may prophesy. He says later on, covet to prophesy. Why does he put such an emphasis on prophesying? Because people need to be built up. That's what the edification means. That means to build up or strengthen. People need to be exhorted or encouraged. That's what exhort means. It means to encourage people. And people need to be comforted. And when we come together, what should be more important than the building up, spiritually building up of the congregation, the body of Christ, the encouragement, supernatural encouragement to people that are in the family of God and comforting them when they're in distress. What should be more important than that? Now, folks, I hope you recognize that there's an element to prophecy in preaching or teaching because the word will comfort you, the word will build you up, and the word will encourage you. 
But when it comes to the manifestation of the Spirit, when we come together, that's one thing that we should recognize is so important because of the needs of the people. Not my needs. I'm not going to prophesy because I need to be encouraged. But I might need to prophesy so that you're encouraged. That's what he's saying. He that prophesies speaketh unto men, unto, speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Notice there's not one word of foretelling in there. There's not one word of prediction in that. He didn't say he that prophesies predicts the future. And here's where people mess up. Thus saith the Lord, next week all hell will break loose. Thank you for the good news. Thus saith the Lord. See, so many times people try to mix up the prophet's ministry with prophecy. And they're totally different. There's no foretelling in prophecy. Prophecy is to exhort people to to encourage them, is to build them up spiritually, and is to comfort them. That's all prophesying is defined as in the Bible. He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. Well, that's the reason Paul says prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. In other words, he's saying quit misdirecting the power of God towards speaking in tongues in your services because all that does is benefit you. And the Holy Ghost manifests for the purpose of benefiting others. Can you see it? That's why he says, he that prophesies is greater than he that speaks in tongues unless there's an interpretation. Meaning an interpretation with tongues is the equivalent of prophecy. It's kind of like prophecy is a dime and two nickels is tongues and interpretation. They're equal, but you got to have them both together to, to equal prophecy. So what's God's purpose? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What's the purpose? I think we've gone, uh, well, there's usually a ditch on both sides of the road. Right? The key to effective driving is to stay between the ditches. I think there's a lot of truth to that and application to that spiritually. The key to growing and operating effectively with the Holy Ghost is to stay between the ditches. You've got one ditch where people will say, well, let's just do anything and everything. I've been in those kind of charismatic services, not a lot, but I've been in a few of those situations, and maybe you have too, where it's just like anything and everything goes. People are just wild and loose, and and you come away from that situation, and you think, well, that was something. But there's hardly ever any teaching. There's hardly ever anything that builds people up. Hardly ever anything that causes people to grow. It's just a display. Well, you can't say it's not the Holy Ghost. Because supernatural things take place in those situations. But right on the other hand, since it is the Holy Ghost, why wasn't there some kind of benefit that was that, that came across to the congregation? Why weren't people edified or built up or strengthened? Why weren't people encouraged? Why weren't people comforted? Why was it just a Christian show? It's obvious that the Holy Ghost wanted to do something there. Why wasn't it done? Because for the most part, people don't know how to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. And so you have people that get excited. They recognize the power of God. They recognize the presence of God. And they get excited and they use it up... Physically instead of spiritually. Do you know you can do that? Paul talked about that with his ministry. He said, my ministry, the power of God is given unto me to edification and not to destruction. He's saying, I could use the power of God either way I want to. But I recognize that the power of God is given to me to build people up and not to destroy them. That means he could have used the things of God in a destructive manner upon the same people that God has given it to given him the very power to help and benefit. His choice. That's why Paul spent so much time talking about tongues and interpretation and prophecy in this. Why didn't he give us the same kind of information about working of miracles? 
Not much you can do to mess that up. God works a miracle through you. It's pretty obvious. There's a lot less of you to be involved in that than there is in tongues and interpretation and prophecy. But there's a ditch on the other side. And that is this. If we, as a congregation, recognize that the Spirit of God moves specifically and on purpose. That's wonderful. We're supposed to know that. We're supposed to believe that. We're supposed to grow up in that. That's what he says in understanding be men. Grow up. But right on the other hand, why is it that the vocal gifts are oftentimes the doorway to the rest of them? Because here's the ditch on the other side. If God can't get you speaking, how can he get you moving? Now, what's happened is, and same thing happened here, same thing happened in the Thessalonian church. Paul told the Thessalonian church, despise not prophesying. What happens is people start being used. People start operating in something. It may be part them. It may be part the Holy Ghost. And everybody else looks at it and says, well, that didn't do anything. I wish we'd quit that. Let me ask you a question. Have everything you've ever, has everything that you've ever done and thought was God turned out to be God? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that one because I'd, I'd get stuck on that myself. There have been things that I thought were God. There have been things I thought, now this is what the Holy Ghost has told me or this is what the Holy Ghost has impressed upon me and it didn't turn out to be anything but me. Haven't you had a similar experience? Sure, we all have. I'd feel better if you nodded your head, but I understand. We've all had experiences like that, haven't we? Oh, we were just sure. Oh, yes, we were just sure. It had to be God. It turned out it wasn't. Well, I'm glad God didn't give up on me just because I missed it a few times. Don't you agree? I don't mean about me. I mean about you. Well, if God doesn't give up on us because we learn, then why should we give up on each other? Because they're learning too. Maybe you are further along the road than somebody else is. But you were where they were once. And what's happened, I had a, a pastor friend of mine uh, or minister friend of mine tell me the other day that he was in a church uh, some time ago and, and somebody stood up and spoke in tongues in service. And the pastor got up afterwards and said, well, that was about 50-50. About half of that was in the Holy Ghost. About half of that was in the flesh. And here's the part that we're going to need to correct because it was in the flesh. And it wasn't anything that hurt anything. It was just somebody got a little bit, uh, went a little bit too far and got excited, you know. I, I, listen, I, let me tell you something. There have been times where God would start to use me and I'd get so excited that he was using me, I'd lose what he gave me. I've seen people do that in trying to give interpretations. They get excited because, hey, this is the Holy Ghost. And then they lose it completely. They get over in the mental realm and they lose it completely and then they stumble through the rest of it and it's like, oh, boy, that fell flat. Stuff like that happens. And it's only after you gain experience through being used in certain things that you can learn to calm down enough and realize, well, here's what God wants me to do. So we really should be forgiving of one another as we learn together. Don't you think? For that reason, we need to be aware. If God can't get us speaking by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, how is he going to get us doing something else that's more important and more serious to help and benefit and bless others? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that church church services should be experimentations or laboratory uh, experiments. I'm not saying whatever you got, just come and we'll see. That's a lot of what they were doing there in Corinth. But there are things that if God wants to use us, we should be developing these things while we're on our own. I know I spoke in tongues and interpreted many, many, many times for uh, privately before I ever did in public. And the reason for that is I knew, I knew myself well enough to where if I start speaking in tongues and then giving out the interpretation, I'm going to think about everybody's eyes on me and I'm going to lose whatever I've got. 
So it happened for me a lot, and it doesn't, God didn't use me a lot in that area anyway. But it happened for me a lot more privately than it ever did publicly or before it ever did publicly. Well, I think that's appropriate, don't you? I mean, the, the, uh, the pattern is, the principle is, don't put a novice in office. Well, that would be true where spiritual things or spiritual manifestations are concerned too. If you don't put an immature Christian in a ministry office, then it wouldn't make sense for God to use somebody that's unexperienced to try to bless the congregation. Well, where are we going to gain experience in your private time? Paul goes on to say this to the church. He says, uh, let's see if I can find it. Um, Verse 12. Let's start with this. Chapter 14, verse 12. Even so, you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. That's why I keep saying desire or covet to prophesy. Because prophesying will bless everybody and not just the individuals. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Do you see that? The Lord arrested me to that and brought it to my attention one day, many, many years ago. When I was speaking in tongues, it just kind of came up from my heart. The Holy Ghost drew it from my remembrance, and it just kind of floated up. These words just kind of floated up. Let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may, he may interpret. So I took it at face value, and I said out loud, I said, Lord, help me. I'm praying. I'm asking you right now that I may interpret. Went back to speaking in tongues. I mean, whether I do or not, it's kind of up to him, isn't it? All I can do is ask. So I went back to speaking in other tongues. Here it comes floating up again. So I did it again. Yeah, Lord, I got that. I'm by myself, walking around the house. Nobody else was in the house, all by myself in the middle of the day. Yeah, Lord, I got that. I'm asking you, give me the interpretation. Went right back to speaking in tongues. Third time it came floating up. I realized the third time, you know, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But if something happens to me three times, that's usually a good signal for me that, wait a minute, I'm missing something here. So the third time it came up, I stopped and I said, wait a minute, I'm missing something about this, Lord. What is it that I'm supposed to do? And all of a sudden, it was like, it was, like it was in my uh, certainly in my imagination, but I kind of had a spiritual vision. It was like I saw the words, pray that he may interpret. But the word pray stood up about three inches high. Pray that he may interpret. And I saw it. I saw it. Here I'm praying, meaning asking. I'm asking. I'm thinking he's saying that the Bible is saying, ask God that you may interpret. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, keep praying and the interpretation will come. Let him that speak in an unknown tongue keep praying and the interpretation will come. Well, how are we going to do that in the service? He's not talking about in a service. He's talking about in your private prayer life. If you want to be used in interpretation of speaking in tongues, then keep praying till the interpretation comes. And folks, I can tell you it's not an every time type thing. I don't think it's supposed to be. But I can tell you about 85% of the time, if I've got time to keep praying in tongues, the interpretation of what I'm praying will come in some form or another. Maybe not completely, but in some form or another. I don't usually have that kind of time to pray. And so I'm just like you. I'll pray in tongues for a while as I'm able to. But realizing all the time, if I stayed with this, then some form of the interpretation would probably come. See, folks, God's not trying to keep you in the dark. He's trying to get you out of the dark. But I'm just like you. I have other things going on in life. Other distractions, other things that pull us away. So we don't give the time to it as we should. Isn't it interesting that Paul said to this Corinthian church, I pray in tongues more than all of you, and he's the one that understood this stuff. Coincidence, huh? Now, this is where the Lord revealed divine secrets to him. Of all the people that I've read at, I don't know where I'm in town, so we'll quit here. Of all the people I've read after, of all the older ministers, and, and I've got a library full of books on, on people that you've never heard of that were used of God in their time, I have yet to find anyone to credit anything other than speaking in tongues as a success for their ministry. Now, that's not to say everybody always credits it because a lot of times nobody just says anything about it. They just identify what happened and how God worked and so forth. But the ones that do give credit to any one thing that made them a success in ministry, without exception, it's always speaking in tongues. Always. Well, if that was a success 
for what God had for them in life, what do you think is going to be the key to success to what God has for you? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. That word mysteries means divine secrets. Weymouth's translation defines it that way. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks divine secrets. Divine secrets. You know what? I'm pretty well convinced that when we get to heaven and all these people are saying, well, when I see Jesus, I'm going to ask him this. I'm pretty well convinced you can get all those answers by praying in tongues. You don't have to wait to get there. Jesus said, I'll tell you anything if you ask in my name. There's only one thing that the Bible identifies that he can't tell us, and that's the hour that he's coming, because he said he didn't know. Only the Father knows that. Everything else, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. John 16, 23, in that day you shall ask me no more questions, but whatsoever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. He'll answer any question you've got. And I'm convinced they come by speaking in tongues. God doesn't want us ignorant of the things of the Spirit. You've got more inside you than you know you have. You've got more inside of you than your mind understands that you have. There is more power inside of you than you're operating on. And the operation of that power comes by understanding what the Holy Ghost wants to do so that you can cooperate fully with Him. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost. What a privilege it is to be born of the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. What a privilege. We know, Father, that because we're in you, because we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, there is no condemnation to us. You hold no wrong against us, no matter how bad we've done or how many times we've done it what a privilege to be able to say father that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we still have a flesh and we still stumble and fall but our nature is one of righteousness and that can never change